scripture reading today is from Romans 8, verses 18 to 30, and I'm reading from the ESV. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Not a traditional Advent text, and yet perhaps the most quintessential Advent text available to us about the tension and all that we are able to receive by faith because of the work of Jesus Christ and all that is not yet healed and made right in the world. The creation itself groans. In hope, Paul references here very, very briefly suffering. And the reason is to compare it to the glory that will be revealed to us when Jesus renews the whole world. If we're here when that happens, then our bodies will begin to be renewed. If If we have died before he returns, then we'll be resurrected and then renewed. Yes, Christians believe some odd things, but some really hopeful things. And when Paul compares the suffering of today with this hope very, very quickly, I think he's talking about the reality that because of the hope that we have, we suffer. Because we actually expect some healing in this world. We actually believe we can be matured in love. We actually believe that all the violations of God's shalom around the world are a problem and something both to grieve and be sad about and when we're able to, to work towards his shalom in those places. And that creates 
in us, that hope then creates suffering in us. I think if it weren't for that hope, there would be a different kind of existential dread, but for the most part, people would, we would just get along with the world and lead somewhat simpler lives, at least internally. But because we know about the love and the peace and the justice and the goodness of God, that gives us hope that in this world also increases our suffering. The very creation is waiting. And what's it waiting for? It's waiting for us to be made new at the return of Jesus and then to begin the process of healing it. That's what Paul's talking about. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Us, in a state totally removed from the power and the presence of sin and death. Their power's gone now, but their presence is still with us. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together until the, in the pains of childbirth until now, which doesn't mean that the groaning stops, but it does mean the beginning of the end has been brought. That is both what we celebrate in Advent and is a reminder of what we're waiting on. freedom from bondage to corruption. And it will be at our hands. It's so incredible to consider the role that we will have in the new heavens and the new earth. A few years ago, we studied Revelation together. And because of the context of this part of Romans chapter 8, I'm reminded of the throne of the Lamb of God. And a river flows from it. And if you go back to Ezekiel you learn that that river is a river of fresh water. And it will slowly over time push out the salt water until the world is, um, the oceans of the world are fresh. In Isaiah 61, there's a picture of the sons and daughters of God waiting in the New Jerusalem as the kings of the earth come to the city to be judged by people whose allegiance is to Jesus. We're waiting for all that. And that's what Paul is reminding us of and even perhaps expecting us to remember or to understand our Bibles more thoroughly than we do. And the reason I also wanted to remind us or teach if you are not familiar with Isaiah 61 and Ezekiel and Revelation, I know most of you can hold all those things in tension all the time. I think some of our picture of the second advent is immediate. And I think there will be immediate beauties to it. But the world will be remade slowly by us. It's the picture that John asks us to understand in wild scenes in Revelation. The Lord revealed to Ezekiel and to Isaiah and that Paul is referencing here in Romans 8. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, which is us. And we get to wait. We're waiting for bodily redemption or resurrection after we leave this earth. And I used to think that that would look a little bit more like Marvel Universe type, you know? Like I'd be tan, maybe I'd have less body hair, be like a little more fit. But the most challenge, I'm talking about in the resurrection. But Jesus' resurrection 
challenges that image. Because one of the most interesting things to me about the appearances of the resurrected Christ is people often didn't recognize him. Rick Schoenhart pointed, pointed this out to me a few years ago. I think he's correct. Part of the reason people didn't recognize Jesus is he looked so ordinary. And another thing about it that is interesting to me is he still had his scars. And we're waiting for Jesus to renew all things. But when he does, your life and the fidelity to him that you showed will still be a part of your story in the new heavens and the new earth. I think we'll still have our scars the way that Jesus did. But we'll know why. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But what's happening right now is we are waiting. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's the gospel, that's God's love that we receive because of the work Jesus did, Romans 1 through 4, that's the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We've received the adoption by faith, but we have not received the end of verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is one of the uh, more regularly referenced challenges of being a Christian, of being a follower of Jesus, is patiently waiting on both his return and even the everyday promises given to us. I think most of us would like to grow in patience. And the way is what you're doing right now. The way that we grow in patience is we take the ordinary means of grace, worship, community, faithful presence, those are the ways we describe it for vision purposes as the church, with the gospel, because without the gospel, those things are just religious exercises that actually distance us from God, not lead us towards him. But with the gospel, we worship God. We enjoy friendship with Christians, not exclusively for sure, but with some Christians. We're faithful where we find ourselves in life. And the Holy Spirit takes those ordinary means of grace and grows us in, among other things, patience. Galatians 5. We who have the first fruits grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And the reason that we groan Paul references it briefly in verse 18, and he's referencing it indirectly here. The reason we groan is we look around. We notice our own experience as a human being. We notice our neighborhoods and around the world, all of the ways that God's shalom is being violated and has been violated, and we're sad. 600 students didn't go to Simsbury High this Friday. I'm not going to say much more about it than that. Than the all of the things that led into that are a violation of the shalom of God. Simsbury police called me twice, or texted me twice this week, right? It was mass text, all of you got it too, or email. Because the peace of God is not fully here. And that leads us to groan. And the Spirit helps. Romans 8 is a master class in the Holy Spirit. If someone asks you about the Holy Spirit, and you're like, I don't understand. You read Romans 8 again. 
and circle every time it's a capital S. And the key is not who the Spirit is. The Spirit's God. The key is what does the Spirit do? And this is so important for us. This will speak peace to your heart because that peace is already there, but we forget about it in our flesh. This will speak peace to your heart like nothing else in the Scriptures. Not as thoroughly. This will do it more thoroughly than anything else in the Scriptures. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just hear those words, please. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That weakness is not a condemning term. That's not a comparative term. It's reality of the fatigue that accompanies being made in the image of God, knowing his character and goodness, receiving faith in Jesus, and still living in a world so far from his shalom. It is the fatigue that comes with being so regularly in the presence of sin and death and pain. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I was praying for you yesterday and was so thankful for this text. Those of you that have suffered, you know this. There are times that you get down on your knees or you lay down in your bed or you go into your room and close the door like Jesus said or you come to the church and pray and you don't have any words. And this is how gracious God is when we can't even make up the words to pray for our friends or ourselves or our family or to complain about or even to thank him. Sometimes we're so mixed up and tired we want to thank him and we don't have words. And the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This might be the most adventy verse in the whole Bible because we have the first fruits of the Spirit so we know to pray because of how good God is. But we don't know how to pray as we ought. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. That's Jesus. Knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you ask for help for somebody. And maybe it's not the best prayer. Jesus knows the mind of God and the will of God and the Holy Spirit takes that prayer and untangles any problems with it and puts it before God. And we can talk about the Trinity and why all that's necessary, but it's more important that we notice what Paul is saying. If you ever stop praying because you're not sure your prayer is great, you know, not in alignment with the will of God and the Scriptures, first of all, the Spirit continues to groan and to intercede for you. And then second of all, when you pick the prayer back up, regardless of how theologically accurate or whatever it is, Jesus and the Spirit present it to the Father. There's a whole theology about the advocacy of Jesus from 1 John and from Hebrews. Paul's explaining it in a different way to free us from tripping over ourselves. When you ask, ask boldly and know that the Spirit and Jesus sort it out. When you complain, complain boldly knowing that being serious, God takes seriously your complaints and Jesus and the Holy Spirit sort it all out. Even when you're thankful, be boldly thankful knowing that Jesus and the Holy Spirit sort it all out. And then Romans eight twenty eight, 
that should be memorized by every Christian and give comfort to every Christian and should be on a lot less pillows. Because what's the context? We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for Jesus to come back to earth and put all things to rights. Everything will be integrated in a comprehensible way to you after he returns. Until that time, we're going to know some. We have a whole scripture full of not only good news, but wisdom and explanation of the world and guidance. So we will understand some. The Holy Spirit is gracious and kind. We will not understand all until Jesus brings his recompense. It's the word in Revelation for what he brings with him in chapter 20 and in chapter 21. Now, is his recompense just a knowledge of how everything works together for good for those who love God? No, of course not. But is that part of it? Yes. And that's good and sweet news. And one of the ways that it's good and sweet is it keeps us from stumbling into thinking we can fully understand what has happened in the world and what has happened to us or what has happened to our loved ones this side of not just heaven but the new heavens and the new earth. One of my very favorite books is called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Of course, God has purpose. And yes, you're going to know some of that this side of heaven. And check me on this. Study Romans 8 and the context of this verse. And it is good news. Romans 8.28 is good news. But we will not know all of it until we're bodily here with Jesus. Just hear this again. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In my early 20s, I didn't need any help. I was positive I was going to be a super Christian, and that's what the world needed. God was probably pretty lucky to have me on his team, and it was going to speak peace to my heart. Now, the Spirit helps me in my weakness. Thank God. And the Spirit intercedes for the saints. If you are a follower of Jesus, learn these words. Be grasped by the truth that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. It is good news. Until we're glorified. Listen to verse 29. And try not to let the predestined word distract you from the clause after it. Oftentimes we'll get into some, and I don't hear this happen around the church much, but, but predestination is a, is a word and an idea that can trip people up. And I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But one of the biggest problems with getting into the argument too early is we miss the point of the text. The second half of verse 29 is the point of the gospel. It's the point of Romans 8. It's the point of Romans, even. So listen again to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the point. 
for his glory. That's the first reason that he wants, that he is conforming us to the image of his son. For the good of our neighbor. That's the second reason. And then that we might be fully alive Christians. The order is important because God's glory is the first reason that we are conformed to the image of his son. Then for the good of our neighbor. And then that we might be fully alive. And the way we do that, he talked about in verses 12 and 13, is to put away that which is from our false self, that which is from our flesh. Put away temptations over desires. Most of the uh, letters of Paul include a vice list and a virtue list. And we put away the vices and we put on the virtues. We live in the newness of life, as he says in chapter 6. We embrace the spirit that's in us earlier in in chapter 8. so that we are conformed to the image of his son. This is my definition of predestination in terms of how the Bible actually talks about it. It was always God's plan to adopt you into his family with Jesus as your older brother who went before you and did what you could never do in love. Better than defining it as opposed to those who don't like it as much, we define it as Paul gives it to us. Anytime we see the word, I mean, one of my goals as a pastor, and for myself, frankly, when I see the word predestined, I think God came through all this muck to pursue us and draw us back to himself. Predestination has God always had a plan to adopt you into his family with Jesus as your older brother who went before you and did what you could never do so that we were reconciled to God. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. That's going back to Romans 1 through 4. The work of Jesus was to rescue us from our natural idolatrous selves back to himself. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And here, Paul is asking us to live in the tension that that theologians almost haphazardly call the already and the not yet. It's almost impossible to read anything about the New Testament without somebody referencing the already and the not yet. And it's because it's in almost every passage of Scripture. You have been, and here's what I think Paul's getting at. You have been glorified in the spiritual sense. So in the spiritual realm, you are made new. You have been given a new heart. You have been justified by faith. But we're waiting still for the redemption of our bodies, which is what Paul was talking about earlier. And all of this, reminding us of the creation groaning, reminding us of our opportunity to wait, reminding us that the Spirit helps and the Spirit intercedes is designed to encourage us and thereby conform us to the image of Jesus. Right? Got it? Romans 8? We're good? Me too. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, in fact, tired and therefore so thankful for your help and intercession. We also long to be conformed 
to your image because we are tired of our sin and our false selves and the world that is in bondage to corruption. And yet we know you are good. Father, Son, and Spirit, fill us with that knowledge. Allow us to be grasped by it that we ever increasingly worship you. Love well those you put into our lives. Amen.